0: Podcast, called, uh, Dub
1: podcast He probably doesn't remember this at all. Yeah, we're together. It's easy. This is kind of real. Like, holy shit. And so it's really cool to get to be a part of that.
0: you know how it is, bro. Hey, when you you now tune into the biggest ever. We're not here just to take part. We're here to take over. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's crazy. What's up, everyone? We're back with episode 126 of the Dub Justin Podcast today. We have a very special guest quite possibly the best beard I've ever seen. And um, I mean, the shot doctor himself, Joey Burton. Joey, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be on.
0: Hey, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to do this. I know you're out of town right now. Um, so for, I mean, for people who don't know you, maybe not from the Indiana area, talk a little bit about yourself and, and what you do and where you're located.
1: Yeah, I'm a skill development coach uh, based out of Indianapolis. Um, I work with all levels of players. Uh, Currently, I'm with one of my uh, NBA players in Philadelphia, uh, George and Yang. And so uh, I traveled throughout the season with uh, different NBA clients trying to maintain their skills and their performance uh, throughout the season. Uh, When I'm at home in Indianapolis, uh, I work with uh, high school, uh, college players. um, And so just continuing to develop them uh, whenever I'm at home. But a lot of my time is spent on the road with uh, NBA clients. Mm-hmm.
0: And then I didn't know what you did, like, in season for those NBA guys. I mean, how often are you going on going on road trips, I guess, with them?
1: You know, um, a lot of it is uh, determined by the schedule. Uh, obviously, if they're on the road trips, uh, they're in and out of cities so uh, rapidly that there's not a lot of time to go to them on the road. So we usually look ahead at the schedule and see where there's some homestands, three, four-game homestands. And uh, that's when we uh, will organize the time to get out to see them and uh, work with them on the nights that they're not playing. And, you know, some nights uh, if we need to make adjustments, uh, you know, after the game, uh, we've gone back in and worked on their game or if they didn't play as many minutes as they thought they were going to play and they feel like they needed a little bit more uh, work. Uh, that day uh, we'll do that as well so um, it keeps me busy but it's very um, you, know, uh, you know disorganized I guess you could say in the sense of when you're going to go because the schedule uh, fluctuates so much
0: mm-hmm. and how do you guys balance that I mean it's kind of a, a three-person team with you um, the team that they play for and then the athlete themselves how do you guys balance that
1: Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, you know, we honor and respect what the team wants. Um, That's the most important thing. If I'm trying to get a player to do something that is, uh, you know, not within the boundary or the box that the uh, coaches uh, set for them or the role that the coaches set for them, um, I'm doing a player a disservice. So uh, I really emphasize with my players of understanding and not even being afraid to ask questions of what their role is and what is expected of them. Because once we know what is expected of them, we could attack those very things that need to be done in order to succeed in their role. And I tell players all the time that you know, the role that you're given, uh, focus on being successful at that. So many players uh, are given a role, and I'll use George as an example, a uh, great college player um, at Iowa State, Uh, was uh, a player that could do a lot. He wasn't just a post player. It wasn't just a shooter. Uh, He was able to handle the ball. He was able to really uh, be a playmaker. And so uh, when he got to (laughs) with the Jazz, they put him in a box and they wanted him just to keep the floor space and be an elite shooter. And so that's what our workouts were really focused on when I would travel with him in Utah. And I think it provided him an opportunity to, to show that he had an NBA skill so it was a good thing that he was put in that box um, but if I was out there saying hey George I know you can do more man I know you can come off the of ball screens. I know you could ISO a little bit I know you can get some post-ups if I would have just been saying that and working on those things he wouldn't have thrived in his role now we fast forward to this season and him signing with the 76ers he's been asked to do more of the ball screen actions, he's been asked to ISO more, he's been given the freedom to do more. And so now our workouts are reflecting that. And so it's important that for any player that is, uh, you know, I'm working with or any player in general is to like really understand your role and ask questions if you're not clear what it is. And whatever they, the coach tells you, we want you to thrive in that role and uh, continue to develop that role so that you could be prepared for bigger roles. Does that mean that we never worked on other stuff just in case, uh, you know, he was uh, going to be asked for more in Utah? No. But it wasn't the focus of our workout. And it happened uh, late in the, uh, the last season. Uh, Donovan Mitchell went down with a, a ankle sprain. Mike Conley had a, a hamstring injury. So George started 10 games. And because of their lack of of availability with guys, he was asked to do a little bit more and he averaged double digits. He played very well shot at a really high club. I think it was like 45% from three. Um, And so he was ready for that because he, or he, he was given the opportunity for that because he thrived in the role that was given to him. So we, we work with the, you know, with the player. I'm not in contact with the team unless there's somebody I know or someone, one of the coaches wants to reach out. Uh, but I, you know, get the player or I really communicate with the players what's expected of you, what do they want to see you thrive at, and then let's really focus in on being great at that.
0: Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I mean, George is a perfect example. I mean, he was a guy at, at Iowa State. I know they had other guys like uh, Melvin Edgem and and those guys. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, he was a guy at Iowa State, All-American, all that stuff. And then you go to the NBA and you're a small fish in a big pond, um, as they yeah. said. So, I mean, when you're, when you're working with guys that are in those similar situations, um, do you have to – I mean, do they have to be honest with themselves? And do you ever find that players are like – not, not accepting of their role if they have a, a lower role on a team?
1: Yeah, um, you definitely have to be honest with yourself. Um, I think that goes for anybody. If you want to improve, you have to have um, some truth spoken into your life. You have to have uh, no ego when it is uh, spoken to you. Um, so many guys, and Jordan and I were just talking about this uh, last night, that so many guys um, let ego get in the way of their improvement. And so when he came um, and I met him in Indianapolis and I knew who he was, but I can't say I was really invested in Iowa state basketball or no, watching a lot of their games. So when he first came to me, I didn't have much of a detailed knowledge of what he was as a player. And so I just knew that in order for him to make it with his body type and not, you know, being the most athletic is that he was going to have to become an elite shooter. And so instead of complaining and getting down when he wasn't playing for the Pacers, uh, he went to work. And I, uh, I've said this many times in these type of podcasts that pretty much every night that they didn't have a game or they weren't on the road, he was in the gym working on a shooting and trying to make you know himself a better shooter, knowing that that was going to give him a chance. And he didn't see the – the results of that his uh, first year. And uh, he kept working, but it didn't lead to, oh, he had the opportunity. He legitimately didn't get an opportunity in, uh, in Indiana with the Pacers. So when he uh, gets waved and goes, plays um, for the Warriors, goes to the training camp with the Warriors, they wave him. He goes to the Santa Cruz Warriors, and he just you know really uh, shows a lot of his skill. But his shooting was incredible. I think when he was with the Warriors, he was shooting like forty six percent from three on you know, like five attempts a game. And so a lot of guys, I feel like, their first year. He, he wasn't coming to me and saying, man, I know I could play more um, in, in ball screens. I know they just gave me a chance. I could, you know, I know I could break guys down or I'm better than this player. I know I, I played that dude in college and I gave him 25. Like I, he, he wasn't focused on that. He was just saying, hey, what do I need to get better at? I'm willing to take a risk of, of not allowing. He shot 37% from three in college as a career. I mean, that's a good percentage. And so he, he didn't let that pass success. Determine what he needed to do to b- become successful in the future. I think that's what hurts a lot of players. Uh they they look back at, well, I I used to do this or I've done this. I know I've done that. And uh that doesn't always determine your future success.
0: hmm I mean, yeah, you I mean, you can go up and down the list of 25 guys a year that with a man in college, did a little bit of everything for their team and then they get to the NBA and they have that one characteristic that, that they excel out like, uh, like Duncan Robinson, for example. I mean, at Michigan, he, he was a good player, but I don't think a lot of guys were looking at him to be, get a four year, $90 million contract. I mean, sure. finding, finding that niche in the NBA, I mean, you're going to have success and you're going to get paid, which, I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, that's, that's what we're all here for.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: And then, I mean, for, for guys, I mean, do you have how often do you get guys that come in, um, new guys especially that that aren't really honest with themselves, and I mean maybe have yes men around them, yes men or yes women around them sure. that uh, that don't tell them the truth, and they have to overcome that hurdle.
1: Yeah, um, I I personally haven't really worked with guys like that. Um, I'm thankful uh, that I've had guys that are you know you know like humble, they work hard. They want to get better. They're coachable. They listen. And um, I think that's part of the reason why I've had success with guys that I've worked with um, because they have those characteristics. Um, I, I've, I've talked to uh, other coaches and trainers about too. It's a, uh, you know, a big word in coaching um, circles at all sports are like a culture, right? Like you gotta have a culture, you know, like, you know, right now uh, you know, Matt Painter at Purdue is just, you know, getting a lot of publicity because of the coach culture that he's developed, right? And I I tell coaches that I talk to that might be, you know, recruiting a player that I'm working with is like, Hey, listen. I got a culture in my gym too. I got to maintain a standard in my gym. I can't just let guys come in and not want to work hard, and kind of, you know, you know, don't take things serious. Uh, you know, they're not doing what it, you know, what it takes to be great off the court. So I got standards too. Um, I don't have a, a team to coach, but I have a standard in my gym, and so um, I, I can't say I've really had it. You know, guys that have come in that you know needed maybe they needed to be told the truth, but that wouldn't listen to that. And I just don't think those type of players I would ever really gel with long-term. So it might be something that we would be able to do for a month or, or two, but the players that I feel like have the greatest impact with in, um, in our relationship uh, spans over the course of uh, years uh, are the ones that are approachable. They want to hear the truth and they want to be coached.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't, I didn't want you to name any names of guys that have maybe come in and for a couple of workouts and it just, yeah. but I mean, you look at all the guys that you work with currently um, you can go up and down the list, obviously, but all those guys have one thing in common. They're all, they're all grinders and they're all smart and in, smart individuals and players as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, so I, that's not anything I could really uh, take credit for um, but it's a foundation that uh uh, that have uh, that have you know been set or has been set by you know either coaches before them or parents or you know just uh, their own, on their own but uh, when you're trying to make it whether it's you know going from high school to college and or whether're going to college to the NBA, you know those foundational principles of being coachable willing to allow the truth to be told to you work hard you know working on right things. A lot of players do work hard, but they're working on the wrong things. And having those characteristics uh, is a competitive advantage. And uh, so many players think it's just like, oh, I got to go out there and, you know, um, be able to uh, show that I can do all these things. And um, that's not the competitive advantage. A lot of times the competitive advantage is the coachable, the work ethic, the, the IQ, those type of things that will carry a player uh further um it's you know, like you know, a lot of players uh are in the nba that could go back and say i shouldn't have made it this player should have made it. this player should have made it. this uh, player should have made it. and most of the players i talked to that have had you know stories like that it's because that player didn't have those intangibles
0: mm-hmm. and i mean i talked about dr Robinson earlier but it feels like basketball compared to the others but like Baseball, it's, it's kind of there. You can have a guy that hits for power but not for average. But I feel like in the NBA, and I can't speak for overseas basketball all that much because I'm not ingrained in it. But, I mean, it mm. feels like it's a real niche sport. So, I mean, if you bring one superb characteristic to the table, you're going you're gonna to play and you're going to thrive in that role. But if you're a guy that does a lot of different things,
1: I mean, fairly average, I don't know how much of a role you're going to have. No, exactly. And then I had the opportunity to uh, work with Duncan uh, this summer and uh, you know, spend some time with him uh, off the court as well, uh, watching one of the NBA finals game. And, you know, you see why he was able to make it. He had this skill, but uh, he was very, um, you know, very in tune to his game. Like he knew you know, every detail of the shot, he knew how his shot was supposed to feel. And he just was really in tune with, you know, every part of his shot, just like a, 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 an artist would be in tune with their painting. They you know, with every little stroke that it took to make that, you know, beautiful piece of art. And so, uh, you know, then add had on top of that coachable, you know, here's a guy that, that you, know, you, know, you know, is now one of the best shooters in the NBA. And we're sitting here talking he's asking questions about what I think about shooting. And he's like really constantly trying to, you know, learn and see if there's anything else that he could uh, do to get better. And those are the qualities that succeed, you know, when you're trying to make it Um, and you might not have all the natural talent in all these areas to be able to make it, what's going to stand out is those uh, intangibles. Mm -hmm.
0: And I want to talk about, I mean, the, just science of shooting because I know that's kind of your main forte in a minute, mm-hmm. but I mean, for people who don't know, who are some of the main guys
1: that you work with on a regular basis? Uh, George and Ainge I work with on a regular basis, uh, Trey Lyles. Uh, he's a Indianapolis native. Um, I work with him. Uh, Ed Sumner, uh, we've work, been working with him now uh, for uh, three years. Fortunately, uh, two weeks before uh, the start of training camp, he uh, ruptured his Achilles tendon. Um, so, um, uh, you know, I, I, it was devastating because I really think he was going to take a big jump. It was this contract year, but uh, really, was just in the gym with him uh, on on Saturday. I uh, can't do much, but form shooting, but hey, when you have uh, me wanting to do form shooting, that's like my, my passion, so I'm like, I'll do it. So um, th- Those are the three right now. Um, I've been, this summer, I had Carson Edwards uh, uh, in the gym several times, so we were able to get back together uh, this summer, and I've always enjoyed uh, working with him. Um, I've done some work this summer with uh, Mo Harkless. Uh, I've done work with uh, Dakota Mathias as well. Um, Unfortunately, he has a little knee issue that he's uh, fighting off right now. But, man, talk about another guy that is just uh, cerebral, works hard. There's not another player that I work with that takes care of his body the way that he does. Um, talk about maximizing every ounce of your potential, um, and I think there's still more that he could do is uh, it's been an incredible uh you know story with that so uh, those are some of the guys uh, you know I, I work with uh, right now, and um, I'm helping and you know just trying to help them reach their goals
0: mm-hmm. and I mean obviously Dakota and Carson are are boilermakers, and I've yeah. had to put on my podcast i mean he's one of my favorite players in purdue history. Yeah. His, yeah. his shot is so clean. He does a little bit of everything. I mean, yeah. you know, the Swiss Army knife for us, and he's just a – I mean, he was a killer. And I, I have no doubt that he's going to have success in the league at some point.
1: Yeah. I mean, just another perfect example uh, of a guy that was asked to, you know, space so floor for Purdue. Uh, he was kind of put in a box, right, didn't have to do much. Um, and as we continue to work and improve, I saw that he could do a lot more than just what he was asked to do at Purdue. No, no um, bitterness. It was just what they needed. I mean, they had some really good players. I mean, he was playing with AJ Hammonds, the guy that you want to get the ball into, you know. So you need the guys to space the floor. Uh, but when he got, especially his uh, first year in the G League and, uh, with the you know, with the Dallas, uh, the Texas Legends, they uh, you know really used him as a point guard, and he was playing in ball screen actions, and he was really moving around and doing different things. And he succeeded, and it earned him a 2 way contract with the Sixers. And he did some of the same things with the Sixers. So, you know, once again, you know, a guy that thrived in the box or the role that he was given, but he could do more. And uh, guys like him and George, they didn't, they didn't power or become upset that they couldn't show that they could do more. They just locked in on being their best in their role.
0: Mm -hmm, no doubt and i mean we talked about george kind of how he went from the guy iowa state to finding his role in the league i mean what about for guys like dakota who were asked of i mean asked of less in college just because of the talent around them and and -hmm. how they fit into that team i mean how do you guys go about improving them for uh an expanded role in the league or a different role in the
1: league yeah i mean we put them in situations that uh they could you know possibly be in um I don't know like much about football uh, compared to, you know, like obviously basketball, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, the NBA is somewhat a copycat league. And so a lot of the things that, you know nba's are nba teams and you know nba wants a lot of threes so so that helps a little bit that you could say hey listen uh you know we're going to maximize what you need to do best to get the opportunity that's shooting threes and then we're going to work on things that you could do other than just that one skill that's going to get you to the nba or give you an opportunity to to, you know, get to the NBA. And so uh, we work on those things, but the, the focus is, you know, excelling at that one skill that will give you the breakthrough. And then we, you know, prepare from there to get ready for other opportunities that might happen within the game.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that I never really thought of um, until speaking with you and the guys like Derek Grant and, and Jordan Delks and those guys that, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about, Indiana, obviously it's a hub for, for basketball. I mean, the saying is in 49 other States it's it's just basketball. This is Indiana. Sure. I mean, what was it like for you to, to come into the, that community, um, and, and kind of be embraced in that, in that culture?
1: Yeah. Um, when I first came up here, uh, I was uh, working with a, a gentleman by the name of Ed Schilling. He, uh, uh, coached uh, here recently at UCLA and then, the to IU with Archie Miller, and now he's out at Grand Canyon University with uh, Bryce Drew. And so I came up here to work for him, and he was coaching high school basketball, and he had a skill development uh, uh, academy. And so uh, I kind of was thrown into skill development, which I really was interested in, but also uh, coaching on you know Friday nights, Saturday nights in high school basketball. And we had uh, one of the top teams in the state at Park Tudor. And uh, I remember the first time it like really hit me was uh, we were in a, uh, the Marion County Championship and uh, uh, we were playing at Pike and we're a small two A school and uh, I don't think at the time maybe uh, you know like Park Tudor never won it I know that for a fact but I don't even think got to the final game and uh, Pike was like maybe you know they're top twenty I believe in the nation at the time and. You know, we won a thriller and uh, just the energy and we, we cut down nets and there was a, a, a box like this chess box that uh, has been passed down to the winner from for years. And you can look in there and there's artifacts from, you know, the, the 70s and the 60s in this chest. And it was just a it was a tradition that I, you know, that I never experienced before. And now, as I move forward and working with some of these college players and feeling how important, you know, uh, you know college basketball is to uh, people that live in Indiana and going to, you know, the Crossroads Classic and actually having players compete, compete against each other that I work with, um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was incredible. I mean, uh, the, the year I'm thinking of is uh, Keelan Martin, Dakota Mathias, just Spent most of the summer just putting in actual work. Like Keelan uh, needed a really you know strong defender on him because he was going into his senior year at uh, Butler, uh, going to be the, the 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 man or the guy a lot of the defense uh, is you know really scheming against. And then Dakota just needed to be able to feel a physical presence on him more. And so like they both had uh, or both provided you know some needs in their development. And so we played a lot of one-on-one games and tied out of that. And then, uh, you know, a few months later, they're competing against each other in Crossroads Classic. And it was just, uh, you know, surreal. I know this is Indiana basketball for you.
0: I mean, what's going through your mind when you're, when you're at that game or watching it and you see, I mean, you're two guys going at it and you're like, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you're rooting for someone, but like, yeah, going to be interesting to see, like, oh, these guys have been in the gym going to war, and now they're doing yeah. do it for real, and I mean, for the country.
1: Yeah, um, I whenever I have players go against each other, or you know, even in in general, you know, obviously if it's just one player on the court at a time, I you know, I want to see the team win. You know, um, this is a game that is, uh, you know, judged by winning, and so I want to see the team win then you know obviously want to see my player contribute to that win. And so uh when when they're both though there, I'm just focused on each player um and, and what are they doing individually to help their team win. Um, are they executing? Are they you know doing things that uh we've worked on to maximize our opportunity to help them win because it's ultimately what um, I do. I know this uh, is a business that, you know, gets a lot of uh, negativity, but um, my goal is to make the player better to maximize their opportunity to impact the team on winning. And so um, rather than being looked at as an opposing, you know, view from uh, a coaching staff, I look at it as I'm almost an extension of the coaching staff. I'm trying to help my player to reach his goals. And, you know, every player that I've worked with uh, in the college setting, their number one goal was to help the team win. And they wanted to go to the final four. They wanted to make the tournament. They wanted to win their conference championships, stuff like that. And so uh, that's my goal. So when I see a player competing against each other, you know, I know only one of those teams are going to win, but are they executing their role and the things that we've done to maximize that role in a way that will help the team win?
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean, I didn't ask this earlier, but what what years were you at Park Tudor? I got there in the
1: 2012 and 13 season, and then um, I resigned uh, because I was getting too busy with uh, working guys out, NBA guys. And so my last year there was uh, 2015, uh, I think 2014-15 season. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was was a great experience.
0: I mean, you talk about A program in Indiana that has produced some killer. I mean, obviously, Yogi Farrell, Jaron Jackson, there for a few years, and then, and then, yeah,
1: you went went to Lala. Yeah, yeah, I uh, when I first got here, uh, uh, Ed Schilling said, Hey, uh, to make you some extra money, uh, you could coach the eighth grade team. Uh, they they practice before a varsity, so you'll just stay right through the varsity team. And so I, I coached Jaron. I was a, his head coach in the eighth grade year. And, uh, it's amazing about that story is he wasn't the best player on the team. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was still long and almost like a baby deer. Uh, but you knew he had, he, he, he was talented and he was gifted. And, uh, then, you know, he played you know, varsity as freshman and sophomore year. And then after his sophomore year, I, uh, I decided to move on and focus on full-time training. But, uh, he's a he's a success story that i love to you know talk about because uh he wasn't you know his dad played in the nba he wasn't worried about his ranking when he was a freshman you know i remember there, his eighth grade summer his dad got just a few of uh the local part tutor dudes and they were just playing in the local tournaments and uh, i think he actually had calvert Chaney's son on, on that team too because uh calvert was at iu with the uh, cream and uh Calbert Chaney and Jaron were teammates at one point in the NBA so like he was on that team It was just like true like just you know hey I'm gonna grab a group of my son's friends and we're just gonna go play and the purity of that was just awesome to see you know and then for him to you know be like that in eighth grade to you know playing in EYBL just a few years later and you know really dominating and then going right into uh, Michigan State and Uh, you know getting drafted uh, you know at at such a high pick was just incredible to see Mm -hmm.
0: and I mean that that time frame that you were at at Park Tudor I mean there's tons of dudes that have come through I mean I I think it was a year or two before you got to Park Tudor that would have been like Gary Harrison and Yogi and yeah that class is just insane and then yeah just a year or two later you got Trey Lyles like you mentioned Justin Black you can go I mean, I could we could sit here and talk for three hours about just all the yeah. stuff that's in Indiana. It's in, it's insane.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. You know, the years I was in the in the high school ranks, uh, it was it seemed like it was like producing two all Americans every year. You know, um, and that's that's a pretty uh, you know steep accomplishment to be able to do for a state, and you know a state the size of Indiana as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have I mean, it back on that time, do you have anyone that kind of stood out like when you when you played against them and be like, OK, this dude is like really, really, really legit?
1: Um, I mean, I would say probably the biggest standout performance I saw. It you know, was both of them was we played uh, at Tech against Trey Lyles and it was, you know, Trayvon Blewett was going to Xavier. Trey was going to Kentucky. And it was a battle. It was an overtime game. Uh, Trayvon Blue had had 51. Um, Trey Lyle's had 45. Uh, I joked with him today. I was just with him last week in Detroit, but I joked with him today that he, he, uh, you know, he, I think he shot 30 free throws uh, that game. So he's getting a little assistance from the, from the refs, but uh, it was just an epic uh, performance. And uh, one of the, one of the greatest high school performances uh, I've seen, um, the, the, Player, I guess I kind of go on different. When I was coaching high school basketball, the player that I coached against, I was like, man, this guy is, like, go play in the NBA right now, was Derrick Rose. Uh, there was a pretty epic battle between, uh, I was coaching on the staff at uh, St. Joe's when uh, Evan Turner was a senior, mm-hmm. and uh, Derrick Rose was at Simeon. And in the warm-up line, what I was seeing, I was like, this dude is not human, you know? And so... That was one of, the, one of the, you know, that was my, the first time I ever was in Trombo player. I said, this dude's going to be an all star. And three years later, four years later, he was an MVP. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that, that's super special. I mean, looking back on my time, um, it was Gary Harris's senior year. I went to their sectional game. They played North Central um, in my hometown of Noblesville. Mm-hmm. Um, except I wanted to see Ronnie Johnson because he's committed to Purdue. And that was probably the craziest, I mean, high school basketball environment I've ever seen. It was, pa- it, the whole gym was packed. We got the upper thing filled. I mean, you you could barely move, and then Gary Harris hits a, a buzzer beater yeah. three to win. I mean, wow. It, it's... Yeah, we,
1: when I was, another time in coaching in uh, Illinois, uh, we went against John Shire, who's about to be the next coach at Duke. And... Uh, they were ranked number one in state, and we had this huge Christmas tournament hosted at our school, and it was called the Proviso West Holiday Tournament. And uh, uh, John Shire's team, I think they lost the year before at the tournament, Then they went on to win the state. And then the first eight, nine games of the season, they were undefeated, and so we we're playing them. And uh, I remember he was averaging, I think, like, he was averaging, like, upper 30s and i remember looking at the looking at the score and then they'd have the numbers of you know the points next to the player's number and i was like man, you know, we held shire to uh, to to 31 points like you know it's pretty good and we got a minute and 20 seconds left and uh i'm like oh, we're going we're going to beat the number one team in state you know this is awesome and one of our uh point guards driving it down, throws a alley-oop to our big, and it goes through his hands, hits off the backboard, and uh, uh, he played at Glenbrook Glenbrook North. Boom, rebound. I think he goes out, like, hits a three, and then they start to press. John Shire scored 21 points in, like, a minute and 15 uh, seconds. The only reason why we won is we kept hitting our free throws. But it was one of the most incredible. It's actually on YouTube, but it's one of the most incredible like end the game performances I've ever seen. And what made it really, really awesome it was completely packed. And then you had Coach K and um, and Chris Collins walking in. You know, they give them this like special table, mm-hmm. and like everybody knows they are there. You know, so th- that was one of my like craziest environments that I've been in in regards to high school basketball.
0: That's insane. I'm sure, I'm sure you have stories for days about just, mm-hmm. I mean, games like that and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, for you, I wanted to talk about kind of the player coach slash trainer relationship. So I think, yeah. I think you're really big on that. Um, I mean, how, why is it so important for you to have that healthy relationship with your guys that you train?
1: I mean, I think first and foremost, uh, that's what we want in everyday life. Um, you know, life is about relationships, and I know my life is better when my relationships are healthy. And so, uh, whether uh, you, I work with you or work for you, or uh, maybe just come in contact with you for that day, you know, or here um, you know, I'm coming in contact with you today. I never met you before, but uh, I want I want those um, experiences to be healthy. So, just in general, that's try. That's why. I, you know, that's the way I approach my life. Uh, but then now we're trying to uh, have this goal reached and there has to be trust and there has to be, you know, love. There has to be some uh, truth telling. There has to be some, you know, discipline. So now we're adding all these other uh, variables to this relationship. And if it's not, you know, founded on, you know, some really solid foundation, then, Uh, It's going to be hard to reach the goals, and so uh, I put such an emphasis on it because it is something that will make the process uh, easier. Doesn't mean that the process, you know, becomes, um, you know, like easy, and we just could walk through things. But it makes it become easier when the process gets hard. And what do you fall back on there? You fall back on your relationships, and so it's something that you know I, I value in everyday life. I want people that I come in contact with um, to have great experiences. And I'm not perfect. Uh, probably some people out there hate me, but uh, I just want to uh, do that in everyday life, and I think it just carries over to the to the players. And I want them to know know that they're they're, they're loved, that uh, they're they're being served, that they are um, um, being, you know, in a place of, of comfort that will allow them to, uh, be who they are. So that means they might fail, but they could be comfortable failing in front of me. That might be that they tell me I'm struggling with this and they could be comfortable in that environment. So, uh, that's why I'm doing it is because of the relationship aspect. And, uh, I just never have operated off of, you know, Hey, I'll just get this player or use this player, to be able to, you know, jump, start my career somewhere, you know, um, I've always done it with a passion to serve others and to have strong relationships. Doesn't mean they always last. Um, people change, we evolve, uh, you know, uh, career paths takes us sometimes different directions, but it doesn't mean that the relationship isn't important.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I had Seth Greenberg on, uh was over a year ago now, but I mean, one of the things that he said that really stuck with me that, was, I mean, success comes from trust and relationships and coaching. You don't have those yeah. two things, you're not going to be successful whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and, and I've been, you know, w- one of the things that uh, skill development taught me, and I think it's uh, this it it my years in skill development, if I get back into coaching, uh, has made me much better uh, than I was before I got into it. And that's the understanding of the importance that, you know, every player wants to get better and – um, when you, before the relationship even starts, if you could show them that you are passionate, that you are genuinely interested in them developing as a player, not about how you can use them to help the team win, not how you can use them for your own benefit where like, Hey, this guy actually, all we care about if he rebounds and that's it. You know, so we're not going to work with them on a shooting. We're not going to even really work with them on you know, um, driving the ball and finishing at the rim. All we need them to do is rebound the basketball and block some shots. If he does that as a coach, I'm good. We win games. And so they could sniff that out. So you know, I always say like you impact the player before you impact the person. So when you could really show that to players that I'm, I'm genuinely uh, invested in you becoming a better player, then that opens the door to impact them as a, as a person. And I think a lot of times it's flipped that we want these players to do what we want them to do, do every little thing that we want them to do, but we're not showing them as coaches ways that we are invested into their, into their improvement. Like, you know, shooting, for example, I have yet to work with a player on their shooting that said, no, no, I don't want to work on this. Every time I've worked with a player on their shooting, there's just this joy, this excitement, because, and especially when they start to see it click and work, there's a joy and excitement because they've told me, like, man, this, I've never had someone do this for me, you know? And so when you get them in that, you know, state of joy and, and excitement, now when you're saying, hey, I need you to hit the boards a little bit harder, I need you to sprint the floor more, I need you to sit down and make sure you're in a stance and stay engaged on defense, they're going to be more receptive to doing it because they saw that you impacted them as a player. You basically said, hey, what is valuable and important to you, I'm going to invest in. And then I could expect them to return that for what's valuable and important to me as a coach, and that's to win and help the team win. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, for you, what is – I mean, what does it mean for you to to make that impact on on guys? I mean, you can go on social media whenever, like, during the off season and guys post stuff and they they're thanking you and I mean I watched your interview with with Tyler Lewis that was like a year ago as well and mm. he just said how much that he appreciates you what what does it mean to you to actually make a real impact on some of those players
1: yeah um you know I always say the players know the players know the um, they, they they know and uh, media you know could really uh really um you know push a narrative on a coach, whether it's good or bad, you know, and um, I've seen some narratives being pushed on really good coaches that were bad. And I've seen some really good narratives on coaches that weren't that good. And the story that was really happening, what the players were really saying, you know, wasn't really what was the media was portraying. So um, I'm honored and blessed when I hear it from the player's mouth. And um, it's not a reporter necessarily asking them um, about, you know, who or, you know, you know it's a, not a political answer. They're not asking, hey, you know, what do you think if you're a coach? And and I'm not saying I've with players like this, but you know, I've for sometimes players like that. I felt like I had to give the political answer, not the truth, you know, and uh, just to be here last season, um, Ed Sunder, you know, had a really big game, shot the ball really well. His shooting percentage continued to rise. And, you know, when they asked him, hey, you know, your three point shootings improved, you know, for him to just say, yeah, I've been working really hard with Joey Burton and focus. And my, he's been on me about my discipline. Like he doesn't have to say that, you know. And, and the other thing is, is invaluable to me is that, you know, I'm in a unique position. I have no power over players. Um, if they don't come to my workout, I don't have the ability to find them. I don't have the ability to run them. I don't have the ability to 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 you know, say you're not going to play next game, you're suspended. I have no power over these players. And when players continually want to come back in the gym, and whether it's during the season and they want to continue to work, I think that's the ultimate testament to, that, to, to what I do as a coach is that I'm making an impact because I don't have any, like, power or demanding power to get these guys in the gym. But When they're texting me and they're asking me, when are you back in town? Or, hey, when can we get back in the gym? Um, or when they might be struggling and they, they reach out, you know, to me, that's the ultimate testament. And um, it's not marketed, which I love. It's not, it's, it's genuine. It's not out there being published every week um, about how many times a guy's been in my gym. Um, I post stuff on social media uh, kind of as a necessity, but you're not going to see my you know, timeline just, you know, filled with you know, every little thing I'm doing with the player because uh that's not what it's about it's about the impact not the not the you know influence of social media mm-hmm.
0: and i think it was during the tyler lewis interview where you said uh the one thing that you're really proud of is i mean the fact that you have some of the guys that you started out with and they're telling other players like hey you need to come work with this joey bergen guy
1: yeah how much is that yeah. to you yeah i mean um another honor i feel uh you know, especially to me is, you know, my organic growth. Um, I'm not as, you know, I'm not a master marketer on social media. Um, you know, I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, so all my growth with, uh, especially with NBA clientele has all been, uh, word of mouth. Uh, it's been other players, uh, reaching out to other players saying, Hey, this is a guy that would help you, you know? And I think it's a testament to the type of player I work with. Um, they've could easily be selfish and be like, man, Hey, I know Joey's really good and I don't really want him to work out with anybody else, but uh, that's the type of player I work with. When they see someone else struggling or they feel like there's someone that's going to try something different, um, you know, they offer my services. And so uh, that, you know, is the you know, biggest, you know, compliment is when the player is um, telling others about what you did to help them improve and I guess the other, you know, compliment would be, uh, one of my, uh, one of my players, uh, when I was working out in Mountain high school, I was coaching him and to, you know, see him have a freshman, um, on the other end when I was doing another workout and him working with that freshman and like teaching and doing the drills that, that we did in our workouts. Uh, I think that would be the other, like most special thing for me to, you know, uh, produce other teachers, not just coach players, but produce other teachers.
0: That's special, man. And I mean, obviously, this is the first time talking, and um, we don't really know each other. But I mean, you can just tell from the way guys talk about you, um, and, and all that stuff, that you've created a culture with with what you're doing. And I mean, it's it's truly special.
1: I appreciate that.
0: And I mean, I don't want to hold you too long, but I mean, the last thing you're fine. the last thing I want to talk about. Obviously, you're a shot doctor. Um, maybe self-proclaimed at this point but I mean talk about just I mean your focus on shooting and and those mechanics because it really interests me as I used to play baseball so yeah like that's pretty much all we're doing especially hitting wise um, and then and then pitchers but that's not something that a lot of people really think about when they think about basketball or or football whether it be a quarterback uh, working on his windup or whatever
1: yeah yeah well, uh, never been self-proclaimed uh, shot doctor. Uh, something that Yogi Ferrell and I uh, first started working with him. Uh, we were in a gym one summer night. It was late, and uh, you know he was uh, needing to get a little more arc on his shot. He was uh, shooting it uh, too flat, and we, uh, we were talking about ways that he needs to generate more arc. And one of the ways is making sure your elbow gets under the ball and you're pushing your elbow up and through the ball to generate that arc. And uh, he was shooting a little bit uh, deeper where he thought he needed to shoot it more at the rim. And I'm like, don't oh, just trust your arc. You know, you could push it up there, get your elbow under the ball. And uh, he just started to you know, splash out. Like it was maybe like, you know, 15 in a row and he missed one to get hot again. So I get home from that workout. And, you know, at the time, I just must not been on Twitter much or whatnot. And uh, all of a sudden, I just get on Twitter and I know I hadn't posted them for maybe a week or so. And I just got all these notifications and Yogi uh, tweeted out, I'm gonna start calling at Joey Burton, the shot doctor. And I was like, whoa, man, this is you know crazy. And it was like surreal because you know, he's the point guard at Indiana, and I mean, at the time, he was going down as one of the best point guards to ever play at Indiana, and I think you know maybe outside of Isaiah Thomas, he is. And so uh, it was like just surreal. So never self-proclaimed. He kind of gave me that, and uh, you know, people were asking me like, you need to, you know, you need to check about you know patents or you know copyright that. I'm like, no, nah, it's I'm sure it's already been used. But uh, uh, what what goes into that is. Uh, you know, when I was first starting this, I was um, uh, uh, at a spot where Ed uh, Shillinger left to go to UCLA, and he you know, gave me the, the, the gracious opportunity to just kind of keep doing skill development and continue to, to do what uh, I was doing with him. Um, but at the time, I didn't know that uh, this was not about just a, a name brand as far as a company or an organization. Players came to the person, the one that was actually doing the training. And so I didn't realize that and um, our numbers dipped um, because Ed was so spectacular at what he did and uh, that people didn't know who I was. So uh, social media was getting um, popular with the videos. Twitter was out. I think Vine was often going on back then. You know, uh, Instagram started allowing those 15 second video clips. started to see a lot of these trainers posting stuff that I was like, you know what? those things might happen for one player, and they might only happen two or three times in a game. And so what am I gonna do to separate myself and have immediate measurable impact? And it's hard to measure how well your handles are in a game, but. After every game, you got to measure and stick with your shooting. You know exactly how, how many shots you took, you know, how many you made. All right. And so I just kept focusing on that. It was something I, I needed to focus on when I was a player. Um, I didn't have a trainer. But I read a lot of books. I would go in the gym. I think it was one of the best things for me uh, outside of just working with some youth um, that could care less if I was telling you the right thing or not but I was focused on trying the things that were in the book and I saw what worked and what didn't work. So that gave me a passion uh, to help players on shooting. And so uh, when I was pretty much doing this now as only me and I have to, you know, separate myself, I started working with players on shooting and I just would work with, I only could get like six, eighth graders, maybe a freshman here or there, you know, nobody big time or anything, but At the time, I just said, hey, I got to focus on whoever's in my gym. I can't focus on who I want to get in the gym or who's working with who. I got to focus on what is going on in my gym. And whoever is there, that's going to be like my NBA player. That's going to be the best player I've ever worked with. So how can I get these players better? And for about a year, a year and a half there, uh, it really um, taught me and developed my philosophy of shooting. And then when I got the opportunity with the NBA players, a lot of the things that they were struggling with were the same things seventh, eighth, freshman players that they're struggling with. And so I would ask my players, I'd say, hey, when did you start shooting like this? Oh, I can't remember, like fifth, sixth grade. And I'm like, you know what? That's amazing. These players I was helping in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and now I'm helping NBA players, it's those habits that they had in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade that are, are causing them not to be able to be their best as far as shooting when they're 20 21 22 years old and the reason for that is they were usually all you know really great athletes they could use their physical size you know to overpower so they were used a lot of natural gifts but then when it got to that highest level and they needed shooting it necessarily wasn't there and so those two years of just working with youth players and really being, focus on them, not, not worried about, hey, who, who's, not, who's working with me or who's not working with me or who do I want to work with? But really being focused on those youth players really set my foundation uh, philosophy-wise on shooting. And so when I uh, would see a professional player struggle with the shot, for example, one of my players uh, would shoot the ball uh, like in the middle of his face or over on the left side and we needed to get the ball to the right side. Why? Because I had saw several youth players shooting the ball on the opposite side, their non-dominant side, and their alignment was off, their arc was off. And whenever I got them to get back on the right side and it helped their alignment, it helped their arc, it helped with their rhythm. And so I'm like, well, hey, it worked for this young man. I'm sure it's gonna work for this guy that's actually you know, gonna be a pro or, or is a pro already. And uh, seeing those things you know, translate from youth to these pros, was a big confidence builder for me. And, uh, you know, you, you, you only get sometimes one opportunity to, to make sure it's right with these NBA players because if they're trying stuff and it's not working, they're not, they're not going to continue to come back. So uh, it was a blessing I had those several years of working with a lot of youth players, trying to develop my philosophy, seeing what worked and what didn't work on, you know, mechanical corrections to really hone in on what I needed to do. And at the time I didn't know NBA players were going to be you know, reaching out or I was going to have those opportunities, but it also just is a good life principle. Like sometimes if you just stay locked in and focused on where you're at, what you're doing, being your best at what you're doing at that moment, you don't, you don't know what opportunities are being prepared for down the road.
0: And when you're watching games, it, it doesn't necessarily be guys that you work with or want to work with or whatever, but like, off the top of my head, like Roosevelt Jones has one of the ugliest free throws I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, do you have a cow when you're when you're watching that on TV? Or, I mean, like Lonzo Ball,
1: at UCLA, he's shooting from way yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah. And that's a perfect example. Lonzo uh, was shooting way on his left side. But, you know, over the years now, he's gotten the ball to his right side. And now he's, uh, you know, his three point shooting's improved. And he's a, you know, I wouldn't say he's an you know, elite shooter but he's much more effective and, you know, it's not like, Hey, just leave them open and you'll probably miss. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's some times where I see guys that have a lot of uh, skill, um, a lot of talent and I, their shot is, is uh, you know fixable or they're doing some things that, you know, I know that if they didn't do would um, help them a ton. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't help, you know, everybody. And, um, you know, I just don't, uh, I don't have, you know, uh, um, I don't have this passion to be working with 30 guys either. Um, what I do is uh, time-consuming because um, I invest a lot of time, you know, travel, uh, watching film, um, you know, making sure I try and am able to watch the game. Most lost my workouts uh, at home, conflict with that, but then I'll record it, watch the game later. So um, I wouldn't have the time to have the, the intensity of the impact uh, if I just tried and uh, get a whole bunch of players. And trying to work with every player that I see that needs shooting improvement. Um, it's, it's it's shooting is something that needs uh, constant attention, and uh, you know if you have too many players, it's hard to give that constant attention. Mm. And I mean, you keep saying things that remind me of stuff like
0: how you're talking about. I mean, like investing how much how much time that you do with the, with these athletes, and yeah. I mean. It reminds me of, I mean, the saying "quality, not quantity." And yeah. look at some of some of these trainers and whatnot. They had, they have a ton of people, but they're not really giving individual um, attention to these young athletes, especially. And then you look at people from Indiana, like yourself, Taylor Ware, um, DG, like I mentioned, the Delks. I mean,
1: you mm-hmm. guys
0: all have individual relationships with all these players.
1: Yeah, and. Yeah, and I mean, you know, some of my players have, you know, used uh, other trainers in the off-season because I'm, uh, my family is located in Indianapolis. Um, you know, they're out in L.A. I can't get out there full-time. Um, and so they use others, you know, in the off-season. But, you know, one thing that, you know, uh, I pride myself on is when it gets into the heat of the battle and um, they're going to, you know, their, their games every day um, that I'm able to walk with them through that. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that, like I said, is time consuming. Um, and I love, love that it is time consuming, but it does limit the time that I have to be able to, you know, you know, grow and, uh, more clients or have a quality amount. I mean, quantity amount of clients. I want those relationships to be quality. I want what we're doing to be effective and it really will, uh, you know, allow them to be their best.
0: Hey, that's what makes you so special, man. But, uh, like I said, I don't want to hold you too long. So I'm going to wrap this up, but I mean, thank you so much for, for coming on and doing this. I've been a fan of yours for, for quite some time now with your work with Purdue players and just the Indiana guys. But I mean, I wish you all the best going forward and, and I mean, I mean you're going to have success going
1: forward. Well, no, I appreciate that. And, uh, Uh, thank you for uh, reaching out to me. Um, I'm always, uh, you know, enjoy being on podcasts. Uh, just hopefully I can, you know, my, my words helped one coach or one player or just a, uh, you know, general listener. Um, you know, that's always my hope is to impact others. So hopefully, uh, you know, this does that for anybody that's listening. And, uh, for those that have listened, uh, feel free to, uh, you know, reach out to me if you have any questions. Um, if I could be of help to you, um, my Twitter handle is just uh, Joey Burton. My Instagram handle is uh, Coach Joey Burton. And if I could help you at any time, you know, feel free to reach out. And I appreciate you being be on the podcast.
0: Yes, sir. Hey, anytime. And and like you said, follow the man. Hey, thank uh, you so much. Right. And uh, cool. that's a lot going forward.
1: Thanks, man. You have a good one.
0: Yeah, you do. Bye.